In July 2020, tens of thousands of passionate and committed people from around the globe will convene in San Francisco and Oakland at the 23rd International AIDS Conference. This gathering among the world's largest conferences will happen during a critical year when global goals for the fight against HIV AIDS come due. In 2020, the conference comes back to sacred ground in the Bay Area, a front line in the fight against HIV after 30 years. In this podcast, we'll be talking to a diversity of inspiring guests. They have been and remain at the very forefront of the ongoing fight against HIV AIDS, both at home and abroad. And we all have to acknowledge that if it wasn't for community doing what they did for many, many years, we wouldn't be where we are. How do we make stigma an abnormal response rather than a normal response to what people think in their heads sometimes? In today's episode, Sarah sits down with Kevin Osborne and Anton Pozniak. Kevin serves as the executive director of the International AIDS Society, based in Geneva, which is responsible for organizing the biannual International AIDS Conferences. He has over 30 years of experience in public health, working on sexual and reproductive health and HIV integration. Kevin has lived openly with HIV for more than half his life, Dr. Anton Pozniak serves as the president of the International AIDS Society. He has been caring for patients with HIV since 1983 and has published many studies on the clinical aspects of HIV treatment and care. I'm Andrew Schwartz. I'm Steve Morrison. And I'm Sarah Allender. This is AIDS 2020. Kevin, why don't we start with you? Let me hear a little bit from you first and then from Anton about uh, your background, what what brought you to your role as executive director of an International AIDS Society, and what are you doing in that role? I've been working in HIV for most of my life, so I started work on, on, on an organization around people living with HIV in South Africa, around issues around what social justice, human rights, because as somebody opening living with HIV, it touched me very personally. So mm-hmm. HIV has always been part of what I do, and it's always been part of, of, of what, I, what, I want to, what I want to try and address in many ways. As the executive director, I really want to try and look at the role that the IAS plays on two roles. One is the role that it does in, as, a, as a convener of the conference and in the conferences, our own conferences that we organize around science, around biomedical HIV prevention, as well as the programmatic issues that the IAS tries to focus on, issues that are important, I think, for the global response about where HIV is today, how we're dealing with issues around human rights, how we're dealing with issues around stigma and discrimination. So I think IAS is always trying to play that neutral convening role and it's a way of trying to shine a spotlight on on issues that we think are not getting sufficient attention. Anton, over to you. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your background and your current role as the IAS president. Yeah, I'm uh, a physician. So I started off my HIV life in 1983 when we didn't know what caused uh, HIV then. And uh, my boss said, hey, there's some patients here with some strange disease and uh, can you go and look after them? So I then went off to Zimbabwe to do my thesis in TB and I was told there's no HIV in Zimbabwe in 1988. Mm. And of course there was. So I knew that HIV was going to follow me the rest of my life. And I'm had and having a wonderful career um, related to HIV and AIDS. I'm the IAS president. I've been in the IAS a long time, done many roles there. And really I'm very passionate about the role of the IAS in helping shape the response to the epidemic. Uh, We're a large membership organization, the biggest in the world. And I think that together, and I've always believed in this, working together, 
we can actually start uh, helping support agendas, setting agendas, and also highlighting areas of inequality disparity. And I think the IAS, through its programs, uh, is doing wonderful work that way. But also, of course, what we're well known for are our conferences. And we're going to have the conference 2020 in Oakland, San Francisco, and shortly in Mexico City, uh, a, a really important region of the world, um, Latin America, where I think that some of the focus that we're going to bring there is going to highlight to many people in the world some of the major issues for transgender people, uh, for gay people, as well as you know, some of the political situations which are, what would I say, slightly um, uh, uh, difficult. I mean, we have the Venezuela crisis going on there. We have a very conservative government now in Brazil, which may overturn a lot of the things that are happening there. So I think Mexico City uh, will not only help us focus on what's happening globally, but I think the region needs a spotlight put on it, and that's what will happen. Interesting. I want to come back to Mexico City in a moment, but I would love to hear, just picking up on the themes both of you mentioned, in your point of view, having worked for so many years on this uh, pandemic, how would you assess where we are right now, kind of in this moment in 2019? And, and what are those big issues that, that you think that need to be tackled over the next couple of years and as we think ahead to the next phase of the response? For me, I'm going to say that I think I think there are three things. HIV has always been a deeply political issue, and I think the the politics of HIV is something that I think we need to refocus on about trying to build political commitment, what that means, and it's political commitment not just at a government level, but at an institutional level, at a private sector level. How do you build political commitment to go this final hurdle of the AIDS response? Because I think we acknowledge that politics and political commitment has been instrumental in getting us where we are. And we've seen it waning. And I think what we have to do is find new ways of both garnering political commitment, measuring it, and making sure that we're on the road to, to deal with that in some way. So if you look at a lot of the documents that have come out, while they say all the right things, it's still not pushing us to the edge that we need to be. So I'd say that's one big piece. I think going forward in the future, I think it's this question around how do we, how is HIV a metaphor for many of the things that are happening in society, whether it's a metaphor for, for social justice responses, whether it's a issue around integration. So how can the lessons learned after almost 40 years of this epidemic, how can those be applied to other disease areas? In, and that HIV in some ways can learn from other disease areas. So this question of whether it's integration of services or differentiated service delivery, but I think the question of where HIV is in the world today is not where it is when it was 30 years ago. We can't hanker back for those days. But what we can do is say, building on those lessons, what's the best way to position HIV so that all those, all the lessons learned, all the gains that have been made are not lost. And I think the third one for me is around trying, focusing very much on what has always been integral to HIV is community responses. Community and the value and the role that community has played in getting us where we are is sometimes not put center stage. And we all have to acknowledge that if it wasn't for community doing what they did for many, many years, we wouldn't be where we are. So how do we take stock of that and make sure that we drive a when we talk about an evidence-based, community-driven response, we're true to those. Yeah, I, th I think HIV has triggered a huge amount of science. 
So scientific development in the last 30 years of the HIV epidemic about our understanding of the virology, immunology, the science of HIV has been absolutely phenomenal. So, And it's generated a whole group of people over the years who have evolved into fantastic scientists doing other work as well as just with HIV. So, so the, the scientific spin-off of what's happened with this epidemic has got to be looked at as a positive thing. It's been absolutely fantastic. But then you come to the other side. The other side is a human rights side where HIV has been a champion for um, promoting and sustaining human rights of people around the world. So that needs to continue. And in a world where a lot of the societies are becoming more conservative, it's becoming more difficult to do that. And then the third thing to sort of to complement what Kevin's been saying is all around uh, how do we make stigma an abnormal response rather than a normal response to what people think in their heads sometimes and then come out and say, those people there, these people here, which this, that should be a completely abnormal response. After all, HIV is a viral infection. It infects people uh, and causes disease and illness, which we can now treat. So um, we've got to start removing, uh, the uh, uncoupling all of this stigma away from, the, away from HIV and also uncoupling it from people who happen to be at risk. So it's those drug users, those people who sell sex, those people who inject drugs, right? So they are, they are people in the world who need support and help. And the, the stigmatization of those should be observed as abnormal and not a, a sort a normal response, which you you find in the media, you find from governments, etc. Mm-hmm. I was actually recently in South Africa in February, and um, all of the things that you've just mentioned resonated very much as part of that trip. Um, one of the shocking things for me was the level of complacency. You know, even in a country that has such high rates and continues to struggle uh, and huge issues with stigma. Um, but one of the things that I we heard from youth on the ground was that. Uh, you know, HIV is a is normalized to a certain extent, um, but they would like to see more uh, mainstreaming of wellness messages. So it's not just about HIV; it's about this bigger context of living healthy lives and and positive lives. Um, how are you thinking about complacency in in your work and thinking about? Um, Addressing stigma as part of the conferences, uh, you mentioned Mexico City and, and then the big conference next summer. Um, what are your thoughts around around that? I think one of the one of the valuable roles that a conference plays is it brings together at least the HIV conferences more than any other conferences. It brings together a, a smorgasbord of people, of researchers and scientists, and community and the private sector and industry. And I can think of no other conference that does that. So in some ways, the conferences form a really big way of addressing complacency, of trying to keep HIV on the agenda in a way that we know we need to do to to to, to get the business done. So I think that's one way of doing it, to keep the attention there. I think secondly, we need to make sure that as I said earlier, I think this issue around what political commitment to HIV means, I think what we measure, what we had as years ago as the indicators of political commitment no longer work in a 2019 society. So we need to think of new ways of trying to say this is how people are committed or this is how industry is committed. And we talk about multi-sectoralism and bringing everybody together, but what are the indicators to really show that people are committed? And I think that's another way to address complacency. 
It's really interesting about if I mean if they exist, the general public, like when we when we're on our phones looking at the news or watching TV, breakthroughs breakthroughs make a lot of news, mm. and I'm always surprised when I like, when I saw the U equals U uh, in the in the European press saying this is all f- brand new, and yet several months before we knew about U equals U, but it was wonderful that what happens is is that we can get some really positive messages out to the public, to, so they they. They understand that HIV is still on the agenda. And I, I still talk to people. I get in a taxi and I'm talking, what do you do? I'm an HIV doctor. Oh, HIV. I say, yeah, but you can take one pill a day. You can lead, have a normal life expectancy. You can have a family. You can have a partner. You won't infect your partner. You can have you know, a life like the rest of us do. And they're all amazed, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> And it is incredible how we, we need, actually, the conferences are great for us to get things going, but we need to get the message out there a little bit wider. And I'm not quite sure how more we can do, but the media play an important role in preventing us to become complacent because they can put out a lot of very excellent positive messages, which the, the, the general public can respond to and go, hey, that's really important. Absolutely. Going back to the conferences, for those who are not uh in the HIV community. Can you tell them a little bit about what these conferences are all about, what the purposes are, and how the science conferences uh, differ from the big uh, biannual conferences? So the the conferences run every two years, but as they're not in sync, there's a science conference every two years, and the other year it's the the, 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 the main one. The science one is basically uh, run by the IAS, and it's, uh, it's much more focused on uh, elements of science, from basic science, clinical science, implementation. It's a smaller conference, uh, and what we do there, we bring people together to um, present scientific breakthroughs and to talk about the implementation implications of those breakthroughs. So that is uh, really important because um, we have a a forum for actual people involved in research, all sorts of research, all the way out to community research to get together to talk about that. Whereas the other conference is we convene with partners. So there's a partnership with the IAS and other groups, um, community groups, UNAIDS, WHO, etc. So we get together and we uh, invite people from all over the world involved in HIV, from grassroots, people can come and present their work, what they're doing, or just come and contribute by being at the conference. And, and at the big conference, we try and make sure that all constituencies involved in HIV, whatever you're doing, whether you're uh, in a lab with a pipette or you're on the street helping people with uh, their day-to-day life and getting through their getting through their getting their medicine taken, etc. Whatever whatever uh, job you have within the HIV community, you can go. We also, of course, engage governments, uh, officials, and we invite celebrity people who are involved in that. And again, that's back to the point of the power of the media, because those people, when they speak, it gets into the media, and then everybody around the world goes, hey, look, you know, um, somebody's come on the stage and they're, they're talking about HIV. So we had Prince Harry, Elton John, etc., and they come on and 
then we get much more uh, catch in terms of um, putting our message forward about that HIV should be normalized. HIV is not a death sentence. HIV is treatable. Uh, and, it, and it helps a lot in terms of our global understanding. So that big conference, for me, is really important to convene. Maybe just to add in, I think mm-hmm. one of the other pieces that's really important about both conferences is the role of people living with HIV. So both organ- the organi- networks of people living with HIV are part of the organization of, of the International AIDS Conference and are involved in the science conference. So I think integral to the, the, the message that gets out is the engagement and meaningful engagement of people living with HIV in, in how we drive the HIV response for tomorrow. So we talked a little bit, or you gave a little bit of a highlight earlier, Anton, around Mexico City. Uh, But talk to us a little bit about what you expect to be the big agenda pieces or the big focus areas. So I I think there'll be a lot around the dolutegravir and pregnancy issue. For those people who don't know, there's been a signal that people taking a drug called dolutegravir uh, uh, who are of childbearing potential, if you take that in the early stages of pregnancy, it might lead to a neural tube defect like spina bifida. Now, this data came out of Botswana, and since then, there's been a lot of change in the way that the use of dolutegravir amongst women of childbearing potential uh, has has been put into guidelines. And and it's caused, I must say, some friction between um, uh, people who say uh, it's a signal, so we have to take heed of it in case it's true. And people who say, well, okay, it's a signal, but I still should have the choice about what drugs I want to take because there's big advantages of taking dolutegravir. So the, the more data will be coming out of that from Botswana and from other places. And we may then find our way as to whether this signal is absolutely true or we can relax more about the signal and say, well, it's of small risk. And as long as people are aware of it, we can carry on with this. Why is that important? Because dolutegravir is going to be rolled out in, in all the PEPFAR countries, etc. Mm-hmm. So that's a real important thing. There's, other, there's new drugs coming, long-acting drugs, which um, are really important so that some of those will be presented, as well as some of the side effects of drugs. We've seen lots of drugs that have been uh, uh, being used in a... Uh, all across the world. And then later on, after several years, people have noticed side effects they hadn't picked up when the drugs were developed. So I think some of that, there's some issues over integrase inhibitors and weight gain. I think that will be done. We also have um, a big session on uh, um, a large program in Africa where they went basically door to door, testing people, finding people, and uh, and also having a whole package of care for them. Uh, and they compared that with the standard of care in the country. And that that is going to be discussed in detail about is it worthwhile having such an intense um, program in terms of managing and controlling HIV. So there's a just some of the highlights that will come out of Mexico, there'll be a lot of basic science stuff, some more advance on uh, on antibody treatment. Uh, and so I think it's going to be full of really interesting stuff, including we've got a lot on implementation science. So I think Mexico City is going to be quite a highlight of the year in terms of scientific advance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and comes at an important time uh, as we're thinking ahead 
2020 is a big year, many milestones with the first tranche of the UNAIDS fast track goals uh, coming due, I guess is maybe how we want to say, World AIDS Day 2020, December 1st. Um, So this science meeting is really important to be thinking about the tools and technologies and and what's available. Um, But then looking ahead, the San Francisco and Oakland conference next July will be at a very pivotal time. Talk to us a little bit about how you're thinking about that conference, the organization, and how it's going to differ from, this will be the 23rd International AIDS Conference, so how will it differ from the previous 22? We're really excited about having it in two cities because it brings both challenges and opportunities. And by focusing on both San Francisco and Oakland within the U.S., it provides an opportunity to also showcase the disparities and the the successes that the rest of the world is doing. Um, So that's one piece. I think that from a logistical side for us, it brings brings an opportunity to do things differently, to use technologies, to engage people in a different way, to, to go beyond the usual way of doing business and engage different sectors, engage different kinds of communities to embrace HIV in a, in a very more in a more collective way. Anton, you mentioned earlier the opportunity with Mexico City to shine a light on the Latin American experience. And obviously with San Francisco and Oakland, there's an opportunity to shine a light on the U.S. Um, epidemic. And we're recording this on June 4th, 4th. We've spent the morning talking about the new epidemic control plan that the Trump administration's put out. How has that announcement, which came in the State of the Union, affected your thinking about uh, the content and uh, the organization? organization for the conference next year. It's a marvelous initiative. I think it's fantastic that a government have committed to try and have an elimination program. Um, and that it's, uh, I think it's really well received because it's needed, especially in uh, uh, amongst those populations where there, there really is a, a huge need to uh, get people tested and on treatment and to get the benefits of whole HIV programs, which is going to be put in place. So as far as the conference is concerned, obviously, it's a new program. So by 2020, it won't have matured to uh, 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 a big space. But there will be a lot of questions asked then about what's happening, how, how well are you doing, uh, what have been the challenges. And I think that those sorts of lessons that will be uh, discussed by not only the people operating it, but by the people receiving the benefits of it, will be a great lesson for a, a many, many countries where they have either localized epidemics or they have situations of uh, groups of people who are disadvantaged where the American experience can help. So So I think that it's um, going to be one of the key points for the 2020 conference for us to focus around. I also just think that the United States government's contribution historically to the HIV response is is pretty amazing in terms of PEPFAR, its contributions to the global fund. So I think it's also an opportunity for for us to focus domestically and say, well, it doesn't mean because we've done all of the stuff that we've got it right mm-hmm. and that we're going to try and fix up some of the issues in our own country, but also learning from the lessons that, are, that, that, that they've learned through a lot of their programs that they've done internationally. So I think there'll be a really good way of showcasing both both the work that the U.S. government has supported in a really pragmatic way, while also applying those lessons to their own domestic agenda. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about some of the challenges <laughs> to the organization 
uh, having it in the Bay Area and some of the protests that um, have been lodged starting uh, at the Amsterdam conference last summer. And just curious on kind of what the status is of, of those concerns now and whether any of that's been alleviated now that this new domestic strategy has been uh, put forward. What's the, the latest? We hear the concerns about not having the conference in the U.S., but at the same time, we also need to recognize that there are other, there's many roads that lead to Rome. And so I think a lot of the conversations that we're having with, a, with, with many people who don't want to come here, we're saying... If people are choosing not to come for a variety of reasons, we understand that, but we're going to try and find a platform to exactly showcase those issues that people are concerned about. So I think very much the take-home message from 2020 is going to be around issues about increasing access to social justice, increasing access access to, to gender-related issues. So I think the very issues that people are so concerned about, I think the very platform of AIDS 2020 will be able to shine a spotlight on many of those issues by having it in the U.S. Some of the concerns have been around um, visa access, um, migration concerns. I know you've been making some adjustments uh, to address those. For, For those who are not aware of what those changes are, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. One of the big changes is we acknowledge that Getting a visa and is a, is, a, is a cumbersome process for many people. So we're going to bring the registration earlier so that people are going to be encouraged to actively apply earlier. So should people be rejected for whatever reason, there'll be enough time to lodge an appeal to, to try and address that, to make sure that as many people that can come, who want to come, can, can come. And we're working with various authorities to try and streamline that process. I wish we could say we would make it like absolutely that everybody could come. But I think for every single person that applies, we're going to try and make sure that 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 process is as streamlined as possible. I often ask uh, at the end of these podcasts uh, kind of what the individual's message for Congress will be, (laughs) but maybe that's not the most appropriate question here. But in terms of, especially since we've spent the day talking about the U.S. epidemic, um, what would be kind of your closing thoughts or charge to members of Congress or to the American people about uh, where we are with HIV or about these conferences that you think is an important takeaway for them? For me, I mean, obviously, (laughs) I'm not from the US, but from the outside, I would say be proud of your country. Be proud of what you're trying to do for your people. And by doing the right thing for your people, you show the world that other countries can do the right thing for their people. And that by sharing and exchanging your experience by doing the right thing for your people, you'll make the world a better place. Now, that has to sit with their conscience. One of the biggest challenges around HIV is addressing stigma and discrimination, mm-hmm. both as it applies to HIV, but also as it applies to people of different sexual orientations or gender, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, I think the charge for all of us is to make sure that stigma and discrimination as it affects treatment, prevention, we all know it's the Achilles heel, but we just somehow haven't got our heads around addressing it. So I would say that We need to get there and we need to get there by making sure that we address stigma and discrimination centrally as part of all that we do. And I think we can. Collectively, we can if we bring everybody together to play their role. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Anton. Thank you, Kevin, for joining us and look forward to seeing you in Mexico City and seeing the wonderful things that come out of the conference. Thank you for listening to AIDS 2020. Please subscribe and write a review wherever you listen to your podcast so that more people can find us. If you want to find out more about CSIS's research on the global fight against HIV AIDS, 
Go to CSIS.org and look for the Global Health Policy Center program page. To find out more about the AIDS 2020 conference, visit AIDS2020.org.